0: Thank you, Libby. Um, and welcome, nine o'clockers. It's great, great to see each one of you here today. Uh, it brings me great joy that you're here. Uh, for those of you who are uh, maybe visiting today or, or first-time guests, uh, my name's Andy. I'm uh, the senior pastor here at Troy United Methodist Church. And you need to know that that role uh, it br- brings me tremendous joy. Uh, th- this, this church, uh, I-, I just love so much. Uh, from the moment that I uh, became the senior pastor here, uh, I, I found this church to be a welcoming church, a a praying church, um, a, a serving church, and uh, and a truly giving church. And that that's uh, it r- reminded me again; it was on full display yesterday during our uh, upward uh, our tip off to the upward basketball season here, uh, with just so many servants. Uh, goodness. I, I was here for a portion of three of the different basketball hours and saw, uh, I think we were over like about 700-ish people kind of came through here and, and you all just, you, you welcome them uh, as, as a church, just a beautiful scene. There's so much to love about Troy United Methodist Church. Uh, but I also have to be honest that being a United Methodist lately has uh, been a difficult burden to bear. As our broader denomination is at and has been at an impasse on how to best interpret and apply the Bible's teaching uh, about human sexuality, particularly regarding same-sex sexual practice. Um, It's been a painful few years as this uh, debate has escalated and has been brewing and will again uh, come to a head this May at our upcoming General Conference. And for those of you who don't know United Methodist Lingo, the General Conference is our highest decision-making body uh, as a denomination. Um, And and even though our church is growing, uh, and at least from my perspective, staying focused on our mission of making uh, disciples by inviting people on a journey with Jesus, uh, our church's leadership, uh, Libby included, Uh, felt that it was best to come together to pray intentionally and to biblically reflect on the pressing issues. Because at some point, you all, our general membership, may need to make some vital decisions about how to uh, best move forward as a congregation. And, And so we are almost halfway through our 40 days of prayer um, and I encourage you again, if, you're, if you've missed the past couple of weeks, uh, grab a 40 days of prayer journal on your way out today at the the Welcome Center. Um, and we are almost, after this morning, we'll be halfway through this six-part series on holy sexuality. Uh, so far, we've taken a look at a biblical worldview um, and our culture's body-mind dualistic worldview. Uh, we've talked about themes of grace and uh, and transformation and identity, and some of how all of that relates to our expressions of sexuality. And if you are joining us uh, for the first time today, or you're listening online and you started with this message, I say, go back to the first two um, and and get that foundation. Uh, Today, though, I'll, I'll be attempting to define the Bible's overall teaching about godly sexual expression. Uh, which I'm calling Holy Sexuality. It's a, not a term that I made up. It's a term that, that I borrowed from author Christopher Ewan, whose book, uh, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, I highly recommend. It's one of the dozen or so books on the back of the prayer and worship, uh, prayer, uh, the prayer journal, uh, that uh, hopefully, if you don't have already, you'll pick up on your way out. And, and I'm just gonna throw this out there right off the bat. You know, God's plan for sexuality is not heterosexuality. Neither is it homosexuality. Uh, The the Bible certainly condemns some expressions of heterosexuality. And there's debate as to whether or not the Bible condemns some or all expressions of same-sex sexual relations. And we'll dive into that more in the next two weeks. Uh, What I can say confidently is this. The Bible affirms only two paths of sexual expression, which I will attempt to unpack today. Uh, Here they are, and you can follow along in your message notes. Uh, They are faithfulness in marriage and chastity in singleness. And of all the sermons in this series, this is probably, at least to me, the most difficult one. It's the one that I wrestled with uh, the most, because there is so much to convey. Um, I, I've, at the end of this morning, you'll probably think, well, he conveyed an awful lot, and I'm not sure if he needed to convey all of it. Uh, but, um, but but, I've tried, I've done my best to narrow in on the essentials, which I'll, I'll try to unpack with some Bible study. But suffice it to say, so much more could be said on Uh, of faithfulness in marriage and chastity and singleness. Uh, You know, I think it's also, it's very interesting that I'm giving this sermon on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend because many, many have seen parallels between the struggle for civil rights among people of color and among the LGBTQ community. In fact, many have said that the highly contentious and groundbreaking decision of the Supreme Court uh, to make same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states in the Obergefell versus Hodges uh, case on uh, June 26, 2015, how that felt similar to the LGBTQ community as uh, Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, felt to the African-American community. And, and I, I can't speak directly to that because I'm neither a person of color nor a member of the LGBTQ community, but I can say that from my perspective, uh, and which I hope is a biblically informed perspective, that equal rights for all people is a very good thing. Uh, regardless of whether I agree or disagree with what people do, I can affirm their right to not be persecuted or oppressed or marginalized unfairly. Uh, But that said, the implications of legalizing same-sex marriage, which is celebrated by many and condemned by many, has really forced the broader church to study the scriptures and better articulate a theology of marriage. And as I attempt to do that in part today, um, it's important to acknowledge that the Bible never affirms same-sex marriage. Um, In fact, there's never any reference or allusion to the possibility of a same-sex marriage in the Bible. People on all sides of the debate agree on that. Uh, uh, The question rather is, does the Bible rule out uh, every possibility that there could be a God-honoring same-sex marriage? And we'll wait to make that judgment until after we've looked over the content of the next couple of weeks. Uh, But today's study certainly provides some uh, relevant material. Uh, But before we look at marriage from a biblical worldview, uh, let's consider how marriage has uh, kind of uh, become understood in our present culture today. These stats should shed a little bit of light. Uh, Did you know that there are approximately 2.4 million weddings performed in the United States annually? 2.4 million. That's that's a lot. Anybody, any guesses as to how much the average uh, wedding costs or how much people on average spend? For a wedding? 10,000, 20,000, over $35,000 these days. That's on average. Um, Anymore, only 33% of those weddings take place within a religious institution. Um, Three out of four couples live together before marriage. Uh, Even more are sexually active before marriage. Uh, Also, one out of three people who get married have been previously married. Um, and 43% of weddings, I loved this stat. Uh, maybe not love, I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, but 43% of weddings are officiated by a friend or a family member. Uh, thanks for the help. Um, you know, just, j- just don't go and get yourself one of those online ordination deals. You know, I don't know, there's just something about it. I worked long and hard for mine. I, I don't know. But, but un- you know, underlying stats like these our uh, unbiblical beliefs in our culture that marriage is all about love grounded in feelings of attraction. Uh, that that uh, marriage is just a consensual union between any two consenting adults uh, who aren't s- super closely related, uh, who fall in love with each other. Uh, that marriage completes each partner, uh, a la Jerry Maguire. I know I'm going back for that one. Uh, that, that it's generally between an, a man and a woman, but that's not always the case. That so long as the love lasts, so will the marriage. And if things don't work out, divorce is always an option. That's what our culture, kind of, cultural worldview just says about marriage these days. Uh, but let's take a look at what the Bible says about marriage uh, by first taking a look at what Jesus teaches. In a response that he made to a question, interestingly enough, about divorce. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, there's a lot going on here, uh, but I want to look at something that Jesus said in verse eight. Uh, when, when asked why Moses allowed divorce, Jesus acknowledges, you see how he does it? He acknowledges the effect of, that sin has had on marriage after the fall. Remember our biblical worldview, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Uh, But then Jesus, he points to before the fall. He points to creation for his understanding of what marriage is supposed to be. I love how he does this. Uh, M- Moses, he says, Moses, in verse eight, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. And he says, he says this, but it was not this way from the beginning. This was not God's original intent. In other words, according to Jesus, a biblical understanding of creation has some rather significant things to say about the nature and the purpose of marriage which Jesus mentioned in the previous verses. Let's look at what he does here. Verse four. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. This is a reference to the passage from Genesis chapter one, verse 27, uh, that we've looked at actually the, the previous two weeks. Uh, here's the, the verse uh, from Genesis in whole. Uh, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then, immediately afterwards, Jesus also quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Here's that verse. Uh, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then Jesus states that man and wife being one flesh, that that's the rationale Uh, for them never being separated by divorce. Um, But what is especially significant here is how Jesus took these two verses from God's intended purpose in creation, and then Jesus blends them. He weds them together in such a way that is extremely relevant for a biblical understanding of marriage. By connecting God's creation of male and female from Genesis 1, with Genesis 2 passage about becoming one flesh, it seems fairly clear to me that Jesus understood marriage as being rooted in the biblical differentiation, physical differentiation of male and female. And and he's showing that when God created in his own image, male and female, that he had in mind that one flesh union that would follow. Furthermore, Jesus seems to indicate that a one flesh union, a one flesh marriage between uh, male and female, is meant, it's meant to point to the image of God. Uh, more on that in a bit. We'll, we'll get to that some more. But first, uh, l- let me just summarize what we learned from Jesus here about marriage. And you can follow along. These are all spelled out in your message notes, uh, so you don't have to take comprehensive notes here. Uh, first, that marriage is a one-flesh union between two sexually different persons, male and female, who share in the image and purpose of God. And secondly, according to Jesus in this passage, divorce isn't supposed to be an option outside of sexual immorality within marriage. Uh, th- that word sexual immorality, that's one that we studied a couple weeks ago, pornea, same word. Um, and it's fairly comprehensive. This isn't just adultery. Um, now, to be fair, there are some scholars who disagree with this interpretation. Um, and, I've, and I've read many, uh, many, many, Uh, who disagree with this interpretation, but none that I have studied uh, give any explanation for why Jesus, in this case, refers back to creation of male and female and unmistakably connects it to the idea of a one-flesh marriage. None really address that. Uh, Some have suggested that Jesus' teachings here on marriage are irrelevant because the question was about divorce, Uh, But Jesus intentionally chose to teach about marriage from the beginning. Uh, So to me, it seems to take precedence. If Jesus wants to teach about marriage, we should listen when he teaches about marriage, is my take on that. Uh, Now, you might feel that this teaching from Jesus is rather difficult. Well, you're not alone. Uh, Let's let's read what follows. Uh, The disciples had some trouble with this one, too. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. (laughs) Jesus replied, he said, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, let me translate here. Uh, what's going on? Jesus holds up a very difficult teaching about marriage. It was difficult for the disciples. <laughs> they say, Jesus, surely you're not suggesting all this. Is it, really, is it really better just not even to get married? And Jesus, instead of placating them, Instead of lowering the bar on marriage, Jesus actually shares another very difficult and yet liberating teaching. Now, the word in this passage, eunuch, it literally means castrated male. Uh, that's what it means. Uh, who, and a castrated male would inevitably not be married nor be sexually active. And, and Jesus points to those who were born that way, uh, those who culturally ha- have been made that way, I don't recommend that. Uh, uh, and then Jesus says there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, in this difficult teaching about marriage, Jesus actually affirms the path of celibate singleness too. From Jesus, we learn that marriage and singleness are equally valid means of living out the mission of the kingdom of God, specifically singleness that is chaste, that chooses to live like a eunuch, to not be sexually active. Now, let's, let's skip forward a couple chapters to learn a little bit more about marriage and singleness from Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 22. And this time, uh, Jesus is responding to a question about an absurd scenario uh, about a woman who has been widowed six different times and each time uh, fulfilled her uh, law of Moses dutiful obligation to marry each of the next subsequent younger brothers in, in this family line. Uh, this, this was a part of God's law that was meant to preserve family lines and land inheritance. Uh, it was, it was uh, part of kind of a, the welfare system of the people of Israel because uh, the, they needed to preserve the land and make sure that no families fell into poverty as a result. And so uh, the Sadducees, now uh, they're a religious, uh, Jewish religious sect that, that they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they asked Jesus All right, so which brother is she going to be married to in heaven? To which Jesus replied, you're an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not a God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Verse 30 is what I want to focus on. Jesus said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Did you know this? And think about the implication here. The big implication, at least. You know, many people in our culture today sees singleness as an intermediate stage before getting married. And, and you know what, there's some truth to that. Uh, I mean, we, we, we all, those of us who are married now, we, we were once single, now, now we're married. That was an intermediate stage. But the cosmic reality is that if we get married, that marriage is an intermediate stage before eternity as a single person. According to Jesus, God's purpose for marriage will already be fulfilled in the age to come. And if we can believe Jesus, and I, and I think you're here because you think we, you can believe Jesus, what then is the purpose of marriage? And this is where so much more could be said. Uh, but I'm going to try to summarize uh, by looking at a couple of different passages and, and really, really try to emphasize the uh, purpose of marriage from creation, uh, since that's what Jesus pointed back to as from the beginning. This is the way it was supposed to be. Uh, first, uh, in creation, humanity as God's image bearers. We talked a lot, a lot about this uh, from a biblical worldview. Uh, uh, as God's image bearers, humanity was charged to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, uh, Genesis 1, chapter, 28, uh, chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, procreation is a part of the purpose of marriage, but, but not just mere procreation, not just making babies for making babies, uh, but rather as God's image bearers, having children was more about passing on the role and responsibility of being God's representatives, God's image bearers in the world. Um, and to use some creation language, that, that role was to care for and steward all of God's creation. Now, obviously, uh, after uh, God's plan of redemption is over and we are in the age to come, uh, th- there's not going to be a whole lot more need for procreation. Uh, but, but, but there's more to a purpose for marriage. And I, I mentioned this before when Jesus alluded to marriage pointing to God's image. The apostle Paul Uh, picks up on this theme in Ephesians chapter 5. And and he, too, points back to creation. He quotes the same verse that Jesus quoted from Genesis chapter 2. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says this. He says, This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. In other words, marriage... The way it was intended is somehow supposed to point to Jesus' relationship to the church. This isn't a new theme in the Bible. Um, Marriage is regularly used to describe God's relationship to his people. Um, In fact, in the consummation, and the end of all things, the Bible speaks uh, of an eternal wedding feast. I mean, some of the language in one of the songs that we sang was kind of about that. You're dressing us in white. Uh, it's, it, it's, there will be this eternal wedding feast between Jesus and his bride, the church. He is purifying us. You know, godly marriages are supposed to be a pointer to the unending and steadfast love that God has for his people. So in the end, in the consummation, when God dwells with his bodily resurrected people, and God makes all things new, Uh, there will be no more need for marriage to point to God's enduring love because God will be fully present with his people. Marriage, you see, it's a dim reflection, an earthly reflection of an eternal reality of God's steadfast love. You know, when we no longer need that reflection because we have the real thing, there will be no more need for marriage. So, Real quick summary, the purpose of marriage then is is to, in part, uh, to bear and raise godly children. And secondly, to point beyond itself as representative of the relationship between God and his people, between Christ and the church. Notice all kinds of things that this doesn't include. Happiness, completion, fulfillment, in those ways, uh, those things aren't a part of God's intent and purpose for marriage. Now, I'm not saying they're all bad things. Now, and furthermore, you know, godly singleness is a reminder that it is and always will be Christ that makes us whole. Always. Marriage doesn't do that. Only Jesus does that. In many ways, godly singleness is ahead of its time because that, that will be our eternal reality. Um, in addition, you know, Jesus gave uh, the, the church a mission to be, not to be fruitful and multiply uh, physically, but to make disciples, uh, a kingdom multiplication. So, so single people... Uh, uh, without children as well as married people without children can be as much a part of that type of fruitful multiplication in the kingdom of God. Uh, So so let's summarize briefly and then reflect a bit. Uh, Faithfulness in marriage and chastity and singleness. Those are the contexts scripturally for holy sexuality. Uh, One, marriage is a one-flesh union between two sexually different persons, male and female, who share in the image and purpose of God. Divorce isn't supposed to be an option outside of sexual immorality within the marriage. Uh, That's from Jesus. Other New Testament teachings seem to give a couple of other appropriate reasons for divorce also, but we don't have time to get into uh, all of that right now. Uh, Third, marriage and chaste singleness are equally valid means of living out the mission of the kingdom of God, which is to make disciples. Uh, fourth marriage won't exist in eternity so what is the purpose of marriage now at least in part to bear and raise godly children and to point beyond itself as representative of the relationship between god and his people between christ and the church and and fifth godly singleness is a reminder that it is and always will be christ who makes us whole now Critics of our denomination's current stance that God's design for marriage is to be a lifetime covenant relationship between one man and one woman agree with many of these. Uh, but as you can imagine, tend to push back on number one uh, with, with critiques, with questions like this. You know, wh- while the first marriage was between a man and a woman, that doesn't necessarily follow that all marriages must be. Um, and, and gay marriages, you know, those weren't a thing when Genesis was written. Uh, so we really need to update our thinking on that. Uh, they, they didn't even know about sexual orientation then. And these are good questions. Uh, ones that uh, we'll get a little more perspective on in the next two weeks. But, but for me, as I study the scriptures um, in their entirety, um, it's difficult for me to get around what appears very clear through a study of creation, and then particularly Jesus pointing back to creation in Matthew 19, as well as in Mark chapter 10, uh, that where he directly connects the creation of male and female with the one flesh union of marriage, the way that he says, as he says, God intended. Um, but we'll see how the rest of the scriptures, Old and New Testaments, uh, address same-sex sexual practice in the next two weeks and really wrestle with some of those difficult questions. Um, and, and, you know, if you're here today um, wrestling with your sexuality uh, or, or you identify as LGBTQ or, or you have a loved one or loved ones who do, um, and, and this teaching and its potential implications are difficult for you, Please, please know that you are loved. You are welcome here, uh, particularly as we try to sort through all of that and love Jesus together. Um, and although our situations are different, and by no means am I trying to compare uh, my situation with yours, I have to confess that, that the, these teachings that I share today are extremely difficult for me too. Maybe not for the exact same reasons, but they're difficult nonetheless. You know, although I would describe my marriage as a godly marriage, I have been thoroughly convicted on how my brokenness and my sin um, has sometimes, sometimes, oftentimes, distorted the beauty of God's intention for marriage, Uh, particularly how marriage is supposed to be a pointer, a pointer to uh, God's steadfast love the love that he has for his people. And although I preach and I teach that and I believe that, I don't always live it. And there are many times when um, I turn to self-centeredness rather than self-giving love in my marriage. And it's a reminder to me how desperately I need a savior to transform my heart and my deep-rooted sin nature. Maybe you have similar convictions. You know, my wife and I, in talking about this this message in particular, we also agree that that we wish, we wish that someone would have discipled us more uh, when we were younger about what it meant to live as Christian single people before we met. And thankfully, when we met, we had a great church family that provided a loving community that helped us make good choices that honored God and honored each other. Maybe you're single and you want to honor God. You just don't know exactly what that looks like or how to do it best. Maybe you're married or single or divorced and you recognize the picture of your past or maybe even your present isn't what you had hoped it would be. Maybe isn't even something that that you're particularly proud of. Uh, maybe you carry some shame. And, and and even more so, hearing how God intended things to be, intends your life to be and my life, to, it just hurts that much more. I, I get that. Now, please hear this. Honoring God through your holy sexuality its not about your past. It's about right now and the choices that you make to live your life this point forward. God is the great redeemer. That's just what God does. He redeems the broken parts of each of our lives and he tells his story of redemption to the world through our broken and restored lives. Your life, no matter what it is looking like right now or has looked like in the past, can tell the story of God's redemption into the future. So I just feel an overwhelming burden to pray for you. Whether you're a married person or a single person striving to live a faithful God honoring life. Uh, So I'm just gonna uh, actually kind of pray for you in groups today. And I apologize in advance if you're trying to keep your marital status, uh, you know, cloudy. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to stand up at different marital statuses here. So uh, so first I wanna pray for those of you who are married people, whether your spouse is here or not, if you are presently married to a living person, uh, uh, so not, not widowed uh, or widowered, uh, you, you'll be in the next section, but if you are a married person, whether your spouse is here or not, would you please stand? Um, and those of us who are single people, uh, oh, we're, we're gonna pray for you as, as we pray along in our hearts together. So let, let's, let's pray together. And Father, Heavenly Father, I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep this simple and straightforward. And, and Lord, you know it's a prayer for myself as much as it is for these good people standing before you now. Lord, first, would you, would you forgive us for falling short of glorifying you and pointing people to your steadfast love through the witness of our marriages? God, some of us, we got into marriage hoping to do just that, but we realize we have failed and fallen short in many ways. Others of us, gosh, we never knew that that was your call or your intention of marriage. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. And we're here now wanting to honor you with our one flesh unions. Lord, would you guard our marriages, preserve the sexual purity of our marriages, Heal our broken places. Lord, mend the ways that we've gone astray. Would you pour your spirit out on us? And by the way that we love and forgive and encourage and support and help and serve one another in our marriages and how we work together to bear fruit in your kingdom by making disciples of our own kids and others Uh, Lord, we pray that we bring honor and glory to you until death do us part. We pray this all in the name of Jesus who loved his bride and gave himself up for her the way we are committed to giving ourselves for one another. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, uh, For those of you who are single, uh, maybe you're a young person, you're 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 a student. Uh, may, maybe you're widowed. May, maybe you were married at one time um, and and divorced now. Uh, regardless, uh, you're you're single. Um, I I'd like the rest of us to pray for you. Would you would you um, stand, please, now? Let's pray God for these good folks. Lord, right now we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, whose marital status is what, what ours will one day be for eternity. Single and only married to you. We realize that not all of those standing now are single by choice. But regardless, Lord, we pray that you would guide them by your spirit to find joy and contentment and purpose as one who is whole and completed by their relationship with you. We ask that you would bring forgiveness and grace for their places of pain and brokenness. We pray that you would comfort them in their times of loneliness and and ask that you would build the kind of community here that would be inclusive to those single brothers and and sisters. Lord, guard their sexual purity and and help them be a holy reflection of your pure love that you have for all people. And Lord, would you give each of them a, a clarity of call and motivation to serve you by using their many gifts to help make disciples, by inviting people on a journey with Jesus for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, please instill in these wonderful people the truth that they are not alone. They are seen, and they are loved, by you and by this church. Lord, we pray this all in the name of Jesus, the most famous single person of them all. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, band, let's, let's sing. Uh, let's close our time in worship. Uh, the next two weeks uh we will dive into the old and the new testaments and the places where they address historically uh we assume we think that they address same-sex sexual practice in a variety of ways and we're going to really be diving into those those will be uh, uh it'll be a couple of difficult weeks but I think ones worthy of of diving into together so I invite you back uh as we we do that uh but let's stand together uh everybody and